everybody. Welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adela Marcy. And today, as we wind down to the end of the year, to the last four episodes that I have planned for you, of course, I got to throw a little surprise in the, in the works. And of course, right before this comes out, well, basically, you'll be setting yourself up perfectly for the new year at the end of this episode. Uh, I will guarantee you that much. My next guest is the one and only Paul Miners. And if you don't know who he is, this dude is a productivity expert who's literally... I don't know. He's just as obsessed as I am about copywriting as he is with like uh, productivity and understanding why people do what they do. So it's a really fun, fascinating conversation as it is. We got put in touch with a very good friend of mine. Well, someone that basically puts people on my show, which is lovely. And I'm just looking forward to interviewing him because he looks like a cool dude that we can have a great time with. With that being said, welcome to the show, Paul. Yeah. Hey, Adel. Nice to meet you. And uh, thanks for having me on the show. Oh, great to have you on, man. Uh, so just as always, before we begin, shout out to our sponsors as always. This episode is sponsored by PaulMiners.com. Head on over there, go to the website, join his mailing list, get a crap load of productivity hacks, and you'll find out why you want to do that while this show is going. And number two, as always, head on over to GreatestCopywriterOfLife.com. It launches in January. Get onto the mailing list so you can be first on for the new podcast we're doing and way more other cool shit that's coming on. And as always, rate, review, subscribe, and let's get started right away. Paul, so real quickly, I got to ask, because anytime I meet someone that's as obsessive as I am about anything, I got to know, where did that come from for you? Like, what was the thing that like first sparked that initial look into it all? Yeah, I don't know where it came from. I can tell you when it sort of arrived, which is um, when I was at university. So... The first time I, and, and this is really when it sort of, I first noticed that productivity is something that interests me and it, it became a really useful tool. And, and the story goes that, I mean, what I liked about university compared to regular school is at the start of the term, they tell you all the dates of when everything's going to happen. Here are all your assignments. This is when they're due. This is when the midterm tests are. This is when your exams are. Here's everything you need to know. And I was like, brilliant. Usually we don't know this stuff or they tell you, you know, you've got an assignment next week. Now I know everything in advance. This is awesome. And so I just started, I just thought, okay, well, how can I start planning for this? Well, let me go and put some of this stuff in my calendar and uh, get all those dates in. And so then when I had to start working on like an assignment, like an essay, uh, I would just kind of take that calendarization a step further. So I'd think about, okay, well, I've got to write this essay. I need to write an introduction, some paragraphs, four or five paragraphs and a conclusion. Why don't I put in some blocks of time on my calendar to work on those things? Because I was already using my calendar to schedule my classes. I can see when my classes are and tutorials. I was using my calendar to schedule when I had to do readings for uh, classes. So it was just kind of that natural, natural evolution is, okay, let me make some time for some of this work that I need to do. And so the calendar really for me has always been one of the most important tools in my productivity system. It's the tool I use to plan my time. And so I, I started doing this at university and um, that was the first time I really sort of saw the benefits of thinking ahead, planning your time and just being proactive in terms of, yeah, like thinking about what you need to do and making time to do it. Um, and that's when, that's when the productivity journey just kicked off. Yeah. I'm really curious about that because again, very similarly, I've like been finding out that more and more of my entrepreneurial friends are similarly like me, like quite ADHD in the sense as well, but also have like a weird mix between high functioning autism as well. And I find that when I have structure, it's awesome. But then I'll like go, oh, this has been like four days of things going, right? I know, like draw crayons and screw it all up. So my question for you is, because you've worked with a lot of business owners, I think like 400 plus at this moment when we were recording this, what was it that, I'm sure you've worked with people that have that. How the hell do you keep them reined in? Because like having someone just 
go, yeah, it's been four days of good work and I'm just going to draw like a giant line through it and start again. Like, how do you keep someone like that on, on track? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, and, and actually, I'll refer back to the calendar again. Like for, for me, I'm, I'm a big time blocker. So time blocking for your audience, if, if people haven't heard time blocking or hyper scheduling or whatever you want to call it, is this practice of just putting things on the calendar. So for me, I, I know about a week out basically what I'm going to be doing, you know, six, seven days from now, because it's all on my calendar. So for me, I mean, and, and it, it can sound to some people like a bit of a strict system. But I remind people that there is flexibility here. So generally, I don't I don't get into that situation where I'm doing some work and then it's like, oh, man, I need to start again. I'll, you know, cancel all this work or delete this work and and, and start over um, because I can see, well, if I do that, if I start over now, it's going to really have an impact on what I have coming up. I have these commitments to clients. I've got these appointments on my calendar for clients. I've got other work that I've scheduled that I need to make time for. So if I cancel and go back to the beginning now, I'm pushing everything else. I'm kicking that can down the road. I'm postponing everything else that I have coming up. Um, so that's that's for me why I often recommend this time blocking approach to people. Um, but uh, the other thing I would say is that a lot of productivity, I think, comes down to just good discipline and just holding yourself accountable and being right. able to make a commitment to yourself and stick to it. Right. But that's actually what I want to explore with you here, because that's the thing, like I said, like I know way too many entrepreneurs that have almost a similar thing with like discipline, like more, the thing that bothers the shit out of me is when people go more discipline. It's like, no, you don't get it. More discipline doesn't work with this fucking <clears throat> asshole in between my ears. <laughs> you need to like coax it into doing shit. So I guess my question for you realistically here really works on the ideas of if you were to look at this from that perspective of like you have someone that has that kind of like lack of discipline, if you will, mm. like societally discipline, how do you start <laughs> building that muscle? Because it is a muscle. It's something that you can reinforce over time. Yeah. Like what would you actually advise as a yeah. starting point? Because time blocking does work. But again, you can only time block so much before you start going off the rails again. Yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, discipline comes from a few places. I mean, I'm very, I'm a very practical, tactical person. So for me, I, I try and have really good systems in place. So whether that's my calendar, or I use Asana for task management, um, I, I know that if I have good systems around me and a way of organizing my work, seeing what I have coming up, planning my time, that for me, basically is how I can be disciplined. I, I've made that plan and I can stick to it. Um, I mean, for other people, it might be, it might require... I guess like, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's consistency. I think consistency is an important part of being disciplined as well. Like if you can find a routine, find a rhythm that really works for you. I mean, we all hear about the science behind, if you repeat something, I don't, whatever, the, I can't remember what the books say, like 21 times, if you repeat something 21 times, it becomes habit. And yeah. so I really like that idea because now it, it almost removes discipline from the equation. You don't even need to be disciplined anymore. It's just automatic. It's a natural response because you've done it 21 times in a row. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, if you, if you can, obviously in the beginning, it's hard to start that new habit, but we're only talking about a few days here. So if you can keep something going for a few days and, and make that a natural, natural thing, then yeah, like I said, it just removes that discipline from the equation. Is it 21 times or 21 days? Because I mean, like the 21 days thing got disproved in the end. It's like a 90 day thing for it to fully form into a new neural pathway, which is kind of like what we always look at when we look at things. But that's actually very interesting because if it was just 21 times, that's a couple of days. You can do something 21 times in a row and it becomes habitual, which is lovely. Now, kind of like I want to take a step back from this aspect and really look at it from the perspective of how you see most businesses really failing right now. 
Because again, that is kind of the big thing that we're looking at. People have amazing ideas and they stop like right before they go off into like the stratosphere. What are you yeah. seeing that most people don't do? Because again, you grew your channel and grew actually you grew your website uh, views to like what was it like forty? You got four thousand people on your website. Uh, sorry, 40,000 people on your mailing list and about hundred thousand people visiting your website every single month. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like so, what what's what did you start putting in place in order to actually have these? Do you have separate systems that you worked on different days or was it just like habitually grew over time? Yeah, I mean, I had a couple of questions there. Um, yeah. You were asking about, so what, what was the first part of your question? Oh, I, I had so a like, response. Yeah, it was just basically a lot of business owners kind of fail at that point mistake. of going beyond. Yeah, yeah the mistake they made. Thank made. you. Yeah, I, I had a, a thought. Um, so um, the mistake I see people make a lot is th there's a couple of things. A lot of people, and this is one of my pet peeves, the frustrating thing I hear a lot is people say, I don't have time for that. And so people reach out to me. I help people with a project management tool called Asana. Yeah. Uh, pipe drive which is a sales crm these are people that pro and i don't do any outbound marketing people approach uh, sorry um yeah uh, i don't do any cold cold outreach yeah. people people come to me and they say yeah i want to i want to learn this tool better and we we chat and this is the approach and this is how we can work together and how i can help you with this tool and then they go yeah that sounds good but you know what i just don't think i have time for that right now mm -hmm. and so there's they carry on doing things the way they've always been doing it hoping it's just going to get magically better yeah but really Business owners, like the most fun part of me of running my business is working on my business. Working in my business is okay. I like working with clients and helping people. That's fun. I actually much prefer working on my business and making the business better and more efficient. But a lot of business owners just cannot justify taking the time to stop working in the business to work on the business, even though working on the business will make working in the business easier. Um, so that's that's one of my, my the frustrating things I hear a lot is just you need to make that time even if it's just like one afternoon a week that you're going to dedicate to going through a course or learning about copywriting or marketing or whatever whatever it is that you need to do to get to that next level um so that's the first thing and what was the second part of your question again you were asking about uh, traffic and subscribers and yeah we'll, we'll jump on that thing in a second but i kind of want to explore that what you just said a little bit more in depth and actually kind of change it slightly because i know we're actually almost like straight down the productivity thing but i kind of want to yeah. shift it around because in my mind, there's, well, from what I've seen, there's always more factors on that. And it's something you touched upon, which was um, working on your business and not working in your business, which has been like a massive mantra for me for literally years. Um, and again, like you said, set time aside, start working on your business. As you start building more towards that, it becomes more fun, more, far more easier. What's your take on rest times? Because I find that so many people will go, you got to be hyper productive all the time. You got to work seven days a week. And I was that guy for literally years. And I found that the moment I stepped away from that and started to work less days, I started to get yeah. more out of them. Like the less I worked, the more I did. Yeah. Like, what's your view on that? Yeah, I, I am very much like work-life balance is super important to me. And I always, if I, if I find myself going too, working too many hours or, or feeling like I'm, yeah, over, overworking, I remind myself like, why am I doing this? Like, Number one, why did I start my business in the first place? And like a lot of business owners, I usually say something like, well, I wanted more freedom. I wanted to work for myself so I had more freedom. Uh, I wanted to earn a good income, of course. But I wanted more freedom and time so that I could spend time with my family or play golf or whatever it is that I want to do. So if I'm working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, well, now I'm taking more time away from these things that I actually wanted to do in the first place. I may as well just go and get some office job and, and work 40 hours a week. Yeah. So that's the first thing is I remind myself, why am I doing this? And, and also then it kind of 
um, loops in nicely with productivity. Like, why do I even care about being productive? For me, productivity is, is a vehicle by which I can get more done with less time. If I can, it's a way of achieving more in my business, in my personal life. And if I'm having to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week, that's like anti-productivity. That is not the point. And I'm always looking at things through this lens of like time versus income as well. Like for me, okay, I've earned this much for the month. If I work double the hours, I've diluted my effective hourly rate because I don't get paid a salary. I don't get a wage. I just earn however much I earn that month. So I can artificially, in a way, earn more by working less. You know, if I could achieve that same income in three hours a week, I would make that trade. So, but, but people don't think about it the other way. By working 80 hours a week instead of 40 and doubling your, your time, I mean, not only are you diminishing your output because you're going to be far less effective working 80 hours, but you're actually diluting your income in a way. Yeah. Because like it's more time again. If you just keep it to the same amount with more money, it just spreads itself. Yeah. In. So, okay. So let's go back to the work-life balance for a second here. Like, what do you actually do to relax? Like, what does your week look like where you just have time to relax? Yeah. What's I mean, so like? I, I, work, I work about 35 to 40 hours a week. Um, so you know, I, I, I actually try and work less than a, a normal job. You know, a normal job is about 40 hours. So I try and work, you know, 35 hours more on that end if I can. Um, I start my day early. So I started this call with you at 6.30 a.m. Um, and uh, I, I usually wrap up about 3, 3.30-ish, depending on the day. And um, in terms of what I do for fun, I mean, we're real active. My wife and I, we do CrossFit in the evenings, most days a week, and, and Olympic lifting. Um, I enjoy golf, surfing, walking, anything active really um playstation with my friends in the evening bit of call of duty um yes. some some reading if i can uh but actually less less reading I, i'll i'll put my hand up i'll admit i'm, I'm not reading as much as i used to yeah, <laughs> but I uh if, i don't know if you've i've i'm glad you said that because i'm not the only one i'm glad i'm not the only one that thinks that because like yes i have a giant crap load of books behind me i've read most of them but the problem is like right now as i've gotten older i'm like when did i have time to sit through and just read a good book for a while like, I'm just so focused on other things. And again, this call is like really benefiting me because I'm in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, you should really start time blocking again, get things done. And, you know, those moments do take time, especially when you are rest periods. So like, if you're working 40 hours a week, does that mean you also take off the weekends as well? It's like a complete- Oh yeah, I don't week? work. Uh, I will very seldom, sometimes I, you know what? I try not to check email at the weekends, but sometimes I will, because I just want to see, is there anything urgent I need to pay attention to? Because being in New Zealand as well, we're a day ahead of, of my clients who are in the States or Europe. So yeah. sometimes on a Saturday morning, I'll just check my email. Is there anything urgent? Has anything gone wrong overnight? And uh, sometimes I might get pulled into something, but I really try and avoid that. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually always a good thing because I've seen that if you well, at least it's always the whole thing with urgency when it comes down to clients. The moment I started implementing a no contact after five o'clock on the Saturday, on the Friday, it really changed the way I did a lot of my business because it meant that I just got everything done before like one or two o'clock and then like five o'clock came. I was like, right, I'm out the door. No work, out the office, not doing anything. and just got to chill out the entire weekend. Yeah. And sometimes that can be detrimental. Other times it can be quite rewarding. But it's kind of finding that middle ground between I love what I do versus I don't want to kill myself doing it. Yeah. Again, you kind of always fall into that trap. It's like, oh yeah, no, I love what I do. It's not like work. It, it is work. You're spending time away from things that would otherwise enrich your life. Now, yeah. kind of going back into the traffic side of things, what would you say are some of the disciplines that most people, um, actually not even some people lack, like, I actually know the answer to that. Let's go with a different question, which is basically when it comes down to building a business online, 
so many people try and do like so many things at once, all at once, and it all falters and fails. Curiously, if someone's actually built a business to where it is today, what would you recommend most people start with? In the beginning, I think it is important to try a few things, but not trying to do everything at once. I think experimenting and saying, right, let me try whatever it might be. Let's try a blog and see if I like writing. Let me try a podcast. Maybe that's a good way to get, uh, you know, reach my audience. Let me try videos and make something for YouTube. So I think trying a few things um, in the beginning, I can, I can, I just, I can justify that. Yeah. What I think is important though, is to double down on what's working well and try not to do everything. So like, you know, I was starting my business when social media was, I would say more popular than it is today. I think a lot of people have a dislike for social media now, but especially in the marketing world, I felt like there was this period of time, maybe some people still feel like this, where marketers feel like they have to be on every single platform. They have to be on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, Pinterest, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube. I'm sure there's more. Um, and you feel like you have to be everywhere. And I was just like, man, I just, again, work-life balance and what works for me, like. I just can't be bothered with all of that. So I don't do any Facebook. I do a little, I, when I have a video or a, or a, or a blog, I put it on Twitter, but honestly, I don't get a lot of traffic from Twitter. Um, where most of my traffic comes from is YouTube because it works for me. And it's how it's how I reach my audience. Yeah. I make videos about Asana. I make videos about Pipedrive. I put it up on YouTube because it, when somebody needs help with one of these tools, they go to YouTube to learn more about that topic. Yeah. So that, that medium really worked for me. So I just doubled down on it and, and did that really well. I'm a big, I'm a big believer in like the 80, 20 rule, Tim Ferriss, or actually, I think he obviously got it from uh, the economist. I can't remember his name. Richard Coach, I think it was. Uh, yeah. With the green beans in the garden. Um, yeah. I just first got exposed to it through the four hour work week, but big believer in that. I was like, great. Yeah. I'm just going to put, um, you know, put 20% of my time into this thing. That's going to get me 80% of my output. So that would be my advice is, okay, in the beginning, try a few things, but ultimately you need to find what works for you and double down on that and do that thing really well rather than 10 things really badly. Yes, I would agree. The spaghetti method only works at the very beginning. After a while, start making spaghetti against the wall. Yeah. That's way to be. Cool. So kind of like jumping off of that as well, because like I really want to explore more on the other side of this, like especially why pipe drive, because that's a very interesting CRM to me. Because like Asana, of course, you have Trello, you have all these other um, amazing tools that are out there. What is it specifically about Pipedrive that you love? I mean, partly uh, I was using it in my full-time job at the time. I was actually um, working as a mortgage advisor, which is funny because I come from a marketing background, but I was working in my friend's business and we were using Pipedrive as the CRM. So I had experience with it. And I was like, look, um, I was helping people with Asana. It's kind of how I started my consulting business on the side while I was still working. And I thought, look, I could do the same with Pipedrive. I know this tool really well. I feel like I've gotten good at teaching people how to use software. So because I'm using it in my day job, I may as well help people with it. Um, I also just really like the tool. It's simple. It's easy to use. Like a lot of people switch from Salesforce and HubSpot to a tool like Pipedrive because it is so clean and simple and, and intuitive. Um, so it's nice and simple to get started. But with something like Zapier, which is part of the service that we provide, we can really take Pipedrive to that next level and connect it with an email marketing system or your booking software or whatever other tools and apps you use. I mean, that's why I love Zapier is it really just helps you level up your, your Pipedrive game. So uh, yeah, I've been using it for about gosh, six years now. And uh, yeah, awesome bit of software. 
That's really cool. Because, yeah, I do love Zapier. I mean, just like, or Zapier for my American friends that say it weird. Zapier. Yeah. Zapier makes you happier. That's how you remember it. That's how I always remember it. Good to know. I will always keep that <laughs> written down. So curious on like product on like habitual productivity hacks, because of course you're like you're into your health. And again, something I have realized with my own self and everyone else, once you start building your business, like your health just slowly starts to decline. It starts to take a backseat to everything else because you get so excited on the thing on the front end. My curiosity is like, did that ever happen to you? And if it did, how'd you bring it back? And if it didn't, what habits did you have in place to stop that from becoming a reality? Yeah, actually, um, I never, uh, fortunately, I've never really had any major health concerns. I never went off the rails when I started my business. Um, Again, balance for me was always really important. Like I want to build my business and and get to a point where I'm supporting my family and and, um, have that freedom. But it, it always came back to I'm doing this for a reason. I'm building a business so that I can, I have time to do the things that I love, but also, um, I don't want to sacrifice my health. You know what? I read a really good book, actually. My mum actually put me onto this called The Winner's Bible. Mm-hmm. I've forgotten the author's name, um, but I think it was used. This is a methodology used with a lot of like sports athletes. Really practical book. And he gets you doing lots of different exercises. And The Winner's Bible is this um, personal personal Bible or, or document or folder with all these um kind of personal reminders of what's important to you and how you should live your life. And one of the exercises he gets you to do in the book is you mind map out everything that's important in your life. So you have your name in the middle, Paul Miners Inc. And then you've got my business is really important. I've got my family over here. I've got CrossFit. I've got my friends and, um, you know, each of those branches off into smaller areas as well. But the nice thing about this is he sort of says, you should be coming back and you should be looking at your mind map every now and then. And if you've ever gone down the rabbit hole too far on any one of those branches, the mind map sort of like recenters you and you look, but you, you can kind of zoom out and look at it and go, yeah, I really haven't been to the gym in a while. Or, you know, what? I have been eating badly. And that for me was a really nice, uh, I don't look at it so much now, but it was, it's a really nice visual reminder of like, these are all the things that I identified as being important in my life. And if you neglect one of them too long, it really becomes noticeable. Yeah. So I think that's a useful exercise people can do, but uh, you know what, I'll, I'll bring it back to the time blocking as well. I make time on my calendar for going to the gym, for going to walks, uh, doing whatever it is that I need to do to stay healthy. So do you basically like, again, it's going to sound like a dumb question because it is a dumb question in my own head, but essentially it's like, you essentially time block everything, don't you? Like if there's something, if there's something I want to do, it's on my calendar. Yeah. So obviously all my work, you know, commitments to clients, but all the actual tasks I need to do are on my calendar. Um, so for my, you know, what, what did I say? 6.30 to three is all scheduled out. There's some, there's some buffer. There's some white space in in between you. I I leave some space to catch up on email and do miscellaneous work. Um, but I schedule going to the gym, um, catching up with friends, uh, I have to put in, like, I've got to pick up my son from kindy. Everything, it goes into the calendar. Yeah. See, that's really awesome. Because I actually started doing that as well with, like, breath work. Is like, I, what time I get up, how long I'm doing breath work, what my next tasks are. So it's, like, really bringing that small, well, small incremental, incremental changes for me that basically make the biggest difference. But that's something that's really interesting because a lot of people don't schedule in time for, like, their friends, for instance. They go, oh, yeah, we'll meet up whenever. I'm like, no, schedule that in. Otherwise, it's never going to happen. I've realized that the older I've got is that it's, you can't wing it anymore. Yeah. And I find you can wing it. Friends are an interesting one because in a lot of friend groups, 
often there's usually one person that will kind of take the lead and will will schedule things. Actually, my I will say my friend group pretty good. I've got one friend who he will play golf at a you know the drop of a beat. Like he'll be the first one to suggest going out and, and uh, getting on the course. So he's really good at being like, hey guys. There's a slot open on this course at 10 a.m. Who wants to join me? Um, but, you know, in a lot of friend groups, I think there's there's one or two people that maybe take the lead in terms of setting things up or saying, hey, let's go for a drink or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. I've I, I've always tried to be that person. Um, the other thing I've tried to do is, is, again, think about who are the people I haven't seen in a while? Because it's really easy for relationships to fizzle out over yeah. time. Um so occasionally I'll just find myself thinking, man, I haven't caught up with uh, my friend Dylan for a while. Let me give him a text. And, and I try and take on that responsibility because if I just go, oh, I haven't seen Dylan, maybe I'll just wait for him to text me. I know that, you know, it, it might not happen or it, I might not see him for six months. So I try and take on that responsibility of like, no, if I want to see my friends, I'll be the one to reach out and, and put in that effort. Definitely. And I actually 100% agree with that because, uh, again, without getting too personal into it, like 2021 has just been like a year where that's been a consistent reminder. It's like the people that you love, be close to them because you don't know how long you've got left with them, especially if they're your friends, family, and people that you care about. And by the way, for the people that are wondering, the Winner's Bible is by Kerry Spackman, I think that it is. sounds right. Yeah. yeah. Big old book. It's lovely. I might actually pick up a copy of that because, again, yeah, I love really practical. Yeah. Especially when they're practical books like that. Now, curiously, again, so when you're like, do you ever do anything like downtime? Like, again, you said play Call of Duty. Of course, that's a huge thing. But do you ever watch movies or anything like that as well? Or? Yeah, a few other. I mean, um, Will, like a lot of people, my wife and I will watch whatever's popular on Netflix in the evening. Um, uh, you mentioned Breathwork. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, uh, I do floating once a nice. month as well. Good uh, Sensory deprivation tanks. Yeah. One of my favorite um, things. Oh, so you do some floating? All the time, once a week. Uh, oh, once a week. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love it. I've been doing it monthly for about a year, actually. Um, and I did it a few few random times before that. But I love it because it's like it's that one time a month where I'm consciously doing nothing, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is if you think about it for a second, it's like, and I know you know this, I'm saying it for your audience, but yeah, it's like sure. um, you're in this tank. You can't see anything. You can't hear anything. You've almost lost all sensation of your body because you're floating in this warm, salty water. So it, it's attempting to remove any sort of physical sensation. Um, that's why it's a sensory deprivation tank. And so you're literally in this tank for an hour with nothing to see, do, think, or, or not see, uh, feel, except your mind. It's just mm-hmm. you and your brain for an hour. And you can do what you want with that. You know, sometimes I'll go in and I'll, I'll meditate or do some breath work. I might do some Wim Hof in the tank. Um, or sometimes I'll do some kind of gratitude sort of um, mindfulness in my head. Sometimes I'll, I'll just let my mind run and think about whatever it needs to think about. And it's just time to process everything that's going on. Whatever it is that I need to do, it's, it's that an hour a month where I can consciously do nothing or, or do nothing or, or think or whatever it is, but I don't have my phone. I don't have work in front of me. I don't have email. My mind can just go and do whatever it wants to do. How or do are you in there? Are you in there for like an hour or longer? I do an hour. Yeah. I was going to say like after a while, when you go to like the two hour mark, it gets really weird in there. At least for I, me. I've never tried two hours. To be honest, I, I actually find an hour is, More I can almost enough. do just, yeah, it is like about 45 minutes. 
I'm, I'm, th- I'm in my head. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm basically ready to get out now. I think an hour is good for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually the reason why I got told to go beyond the hours because I started to hit that uh-huh. wall. I was talking to a friend. They're like, yeah, you need to go beyond that. I was like, why? Well, I was like, there's a resistance there. I was like, you fuckers. Really? So for about four years of my life, I went through a process where I basically used um, different psychedelics and stuff like that to really enhance every part of my brain just to really see what would happen. Because again, yeah. If you, I always tell people, and this is a warning to everyone that's out there please do therapy before you go down that path of psychedelics, because if you don't, the psychedelics will take you to a place that you're not ready to go to, which will fuck <laughs> you up. They just will. It's just what they do. So uh, like going into 2022, one of the things I've actually put out into my calendar is essentially every Wednesday I already take off as is, but now Wednesdays are not just no longer. Oh yeah, I'll go float and do whatever. It's like, okay, in the morning I have a massage, I go float in the afternoon, then I go to a cryotherapist and I come home. So basically it's a full on self-care day on just the Wednesday, because I realized when I'm my most productive, it's, I've got this midweek break. Yeah. It's a nice little midweek break that allows me to fully let go and relax. Uh, but when I, I once went to the tank on uh, mushrooms and, Oh really? Oh my Jesus. God. That was, and that was when I did a two hour tank session. Cause my friend was like, yeah, yeah we're going in for you'll two get hours. Lost. You'll get lost there. Hey, I'm surprised you came back. <laughs> oh, it was, it was amazing. Like I, I ended up like sobbing and breaking down the fucking tank. It was like hilariously weird. So when I kind of came out the other side, I was like, Oh, that, that, that happened. How long was I in there for? Cause like I have this habit of falling asleep in the tank. I don't yeah. know if you do this. But the amount of times I just fall asleep and wake up and think, uh, is it four hours have gone by? Look up, it's like, no, you've only been there for yeah. 10 minutes. Yeah. I've never fallen asleep in the tank. That's uh, Some people um, who I've put onto it say they have. I I don't know how you do. Yeah, I'm, uh, I don't know. I just, my brain's doing different things, I suppose. I, I smoked a little bit of weed once before going in and I find my brain was really racing and I came out with loads of ideas and I just had to, I got out and I just wrapped the towel around me. And I just had to start typing on my phone to try and remember everything that I've been thinking about. And that was quite funny. That is actually one of the best things, but I actually find it depends on the strain that you take. If you take like a relaxing strain, go in, that'll be fine. But also do you ever use like a halo behind your head to like keep your head afloat or do you just like go complete submerged? I, I, I just um, let my head go back. I have tried the halo. Um, I just prefer yeah. kind of letting it, letting it fall back. Yeah. I've got to a point where I just use the halo a little bit more just simply because my hair's gotten really, well, it's gotten longer. So it's not a pain in the ass to actually like, get all the salts out and you find like salt yeah. and for like two or three days later, like, motherfucker, gotta get this shit out. Mm-hmm. But um, what actually turned you on to like isolation tanks? Because like, again, I, it's been a thing that I've loved for like the last seven, eight years, but I, mm. I'm curious what got you into it. Um, I mean, the first time I floated was probably four years ago. I think it was just one of those things that um, I, I got... I became aware of, I don't even know how, I think I met, must've seen it on TV or a documentary or something. I just became aware of it. Like, oh, that, maybe, yeah, it could have been Tim Ferriss or something like that. And then it was sort of like, oh, this sounds interesting. It just kind of productivity, self-improvement. It's just one of those things that like yeah. kind of fits into that space. Like if you're someone that cares about self-care and mindfulness, like, you know, I've always meditated, I've meditated for quite a while. Um, it just seemed like, yeah, I want to give this a go. So I tried it about three or four years ago. I've done the odd float over the years, but then it was about a year ago. I was actually, it was after I did mushrooms actually with some friends, um, second time doing it. And one of the big takeaways from that, I don't know why was just like, Oh, I should take some more time for myself to just try and de-stress. Like, you know, got a young family and I'm working for myself. Like I should just try and take a bit more time to kind of be alone and, and relax. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, you know, maybe floating is something I could do more consistently. Yeah. And so it was, it was about a year ago that I started, I signed up to a membership and uh, yeah, it just became like a, a monthly thing. 
that's actually beautiful man like those things are like always the best and i found floating works the other is going out in nature once a week i mean you're in new zealand mm. it's absolutely beautiful i'm in london grateful mm. that i'm right near epping forest because i'm like yep just can go up 20 minutes of the road go out chill out for the day or whatever it is but it's just the, it's the other thing i do i mean it goes back to a question about you know what do you do to relax i make sure i walk every single day at lunchtime um basically without fail unless it's really raining you know yeah um so it doesn't matter how busy i am I, I and again, as you can imagine, I've scheduled it so I have an hour at lunch uh, at, at, over lunch for eating, um, but I usually eat pretty quickly because I want to get out on my walk, and then I go for a walk. And usually it's about 30, 30, 40 minutes. And for me, it's that it's a bit like your Wednesday reset. It's like a micro version of that. Yeah. Where for me, it's just that slight reset during the day where I can get some exercise, get some fresh air, and I can reset and be recharged, ready for a few more hours in the afternoon. And that for me is basically a non-negotiable. Curious on that. Do you actually go out with headphones on or and listen to anything, or do you just go out without headphones and without your phone? Because again, I go uh, out, I do the same thing by the way. Lunchtime have the exact same routine. Go out for a walk yeah. for an hour. Yeah, I, I do take headphones. Um, I like listening to a podcast. Um, so and, and maybe that's the productivity not in me, just like trying to use the time for something else as well. Like I feel like I'm it's a two for one. I'm getting exercise, yeah. but I'm also learning something. So I quite enjoy that. Yeah. I always find that like really works, but at the same time, I absorb the information way better because I'm just in a relaxed state of mind, just complete relaxed state of mind. I'm just walking, relaxing, and this info goes in, which is nice. Yeah. I find as well, like, because I'm, I have a very digital job. I'm sat yeah. at my desk and I'm typing away all day and I'm, I'm using my brain. Um, <laughs> I would actually, I, I sometimes think about like, I would love maybe one day to just completely stop my business and just do something else, like become a builder or something, like do something physical. Right. Um, I, I don't know if this will happen is, but it's something I, th- I think about, but I really, um, I do enjoy physical things and, and just using my hands. So even something simple, like at the weekend, I really like just washing the car, something kind of mindless, but I'm using my hands. And I can spend my time on it and do a really good job. But that's another time that I just enjoy listening to a podcast because I'm doing something that's kind of mindless and yeah. I'm much more likely to take in the information. Same when I'm walking. If I try and listen to a podcast when I'm, I could never right. listen to a podcast while I'm working. Absolutely not. Um, uh, so yeah, if I'm doing something physical or active, but it's kind of mindless, that's a great time for me to listen to a podcast. Yeah. I have that with cooking at the end of the mm. day like i cook every day at least once a day just basically as a way of getting my brain into that place of just relaxation because it's a great de-stress for me i know some people out there are like oh my god cooking the most scariest thing in the world it scares the shit out of me for me it's like it's just really relaxing it's easy you get through it and it's the best time for me to listen to things that really just bring yeah. you back down center curiously what music do you listen to to actually get you into the state of productivity though because i know some people actually need that primer i don't know if you have one if you do what do you do <laughs> Yeah, I um I do I actually recently got a home pod here on my desk. I used to um What's I used to wear pod? headphones. What's that, sorry? What's a home pod? Sorry, I don't know what a home pod. You know the Apple, the Apple home pod, the little speaker? Oh, sure. Okay. Did not know. Yeah, yeah. Um Google, Google HomePod. It's just their their little their little speaker. Um oh, it's about 150 New Zealand dollars. Uh, I don't know what pounds, I guess it would be probably like 70 pounds or something if i half that yeah. yeah um something like that so it's just their little speaker um you know and i i'm in the apple ecosystem so i can use siri to set reminders and do things if i need to but i just i often just have some some fairly quiet music just playing in the background while i'm working um i really like i don't need to listen to this but i just like it in the background is that anything kind of ambient instrumental music um i generally don't listen to anything with lyrics while i'm yeah. working because it just it's another voice and it's just adding a layer of 
distraction. distraction. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really like anything with lyrics, um, anything instrumental. I like electronic music or I've actually really recently been into just like chill hop. So just that kind of like, my wife calls it elevator music. She hates it, but just that really like slow melody. It's, you could almost fall asleep to it, you know? Mm. Uh, for me, it's lo-fi. I found out. Lo-fi, found, sorry. Found, yeah, lo- yeah, lo-fi chill hop. Yeah. God, I yeah. fucking love that stuff. Especially like middle of the day as you're working. Like, oh, yeah. I've just spent like five hours doing this. There is, And actually, I was just going to add the, I use the Headspace app for my meditation, but they actually have some really good, um, there's a section of their app for, what do they call it? I think it's called Focus. And they've got some really good lo-fi, just long playlists in there. I'll, I'll sometimes just put that on as well. Good to know. I don't really use Headspace all that much. I'm more of a brain FM kind of guy, but again, low, uh, Headspace is a great uh, app. There's a really good artist that you might want to listen to called Decca. The, the, there is a danger here. They actually do recommend uh, that you do this on your off time because I remember like getting a friend of mine going, oh yeah, you should listen to this artist. Before I knew it, he was playing on the background for five hours. Like just five hours while I was writing, I was like, there's hip hop and like lo-fi and I'm all good with this. But at the same time, I kept catching myself every so often, just writing out a lyric while I was working. I was like, that's not what I meant to say there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's not what we want to do there, Adel. Bring it yeah. back. Yeah. But curiously, just going back into like habits and books and stuff like that as well. Because again, one of my favorite questions to ask uh, on the show is what are some of the books that influenced you? Like, so what would you share like the top five books yeah. that truly influenced you? Biggest influences, I, I, you know, I mentioned the four hour work week earlier. That was definitely one that mm-hmm. I think helped to frame a lot of my current thinking, like the 80 20 principle, having that balance. Because obviously in the book, Tim Ferriss talks about like, you know, <laughs> he has that. Imagine, you know, you're making your business more efficient. You're trying to work that four hour work week and basically remove yourself from your business. So what do you want to do with your time when you're done? Do you want to travel? Do you want to go surfing? Whatever it is. So that was a book that really help to form some of those fundamental principles uh, early on. And, and, and I, I generally reread that every year or two. I'll, I'll reread that. Um, I also, I would say Ryan Holiday is probably my favorite author. So all his books are really good. Um, I first read, well, I first read his book, Trust Me, I'm Lying. I think that Which, was one of his way, first. One of the best fucking books out there on advertising that no one talks about. Like, it's such a good book. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny how... Um, even more apparent everything he's talking about is today, like how fast media is just completely ruining the way we think. <laughs> Cannibalizing <laughs> but, um, stuff. Like we've lost the, and just as a side note, sorry, I hope you don't mind, but like one of the things that really, really frustrates the shit out of me is we've lost the ability of critical thinking. Mm. Like people now no longer critically think in the sense that they actually get something from somewhere else and go, I'm going to believe that thing because they're telling the truth. It's like, have you investigated what they're saying? Like, no. I'm like, so you have an opinion based on someone else's opinion. It's not factual. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy stuff. But yeah, for me, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. But no, his, his books are really good. Um, I, I particularly like his books. Uh, the obstacle is the way that for me was a really good introduction into stoic philosophy. Mm -hmm. Um, so he he actually has a really good reading list at the end of that book. So I started reading like Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, some of Seneca. Um, he's come out with some really good Stoic books. Oh, there you go. You got it there. Um, yeah, on my desk. Um, he, he then wrote like The Daily Stoic. And what was the one he did? Stillness is the key. Stillness, Stillness is the key came out recently. I'm just looking at my shelf. Perennial um, Sellers, another one that he did. Life of the Stoics, he did recently as well. So basically, I just got, I haven't started. I've got Courage is Calling on my shelf, which I need Ooh. to read. That's his new one. Um, basically, yeah, anything he he writes, I'll buy because I find Ryan's books 
he's got a very good writing style. Like he's very good at taking a topic and dissecting it and, and explaining it in a really friendly way. Yeah. Um, and it's, so it's I love an his, easy read. His books are like yeah, a, a really good it. easy read, but you absorb so much info out of it. By the way, a really good Honestly, I think I think one of the reasons Stoic philosophy has become more popular. I mean, people like Tim Ferriss and Ryan Holiday have talked about it, but you know, a lot of like Silicon Valley and entrepreneurial and A type people are, are kind of getting into it. And I think I do think that Ryan's books are part of the reason because he, I mean, forgot how can you write about philosophy in an interesting way? But he's done it. Like, <laughs> yep, <right. There's, laughs> um, so his book's really good. Yeah. Have you uh, read Robert Greene's books at all? Um. Yeah, because he worked with Robert Greene. You know, I have a few of his on my reading list. I have a few summaries of his book on my website, which my my wife wrote. Um, but I actually do need to spend more time going down the Robert Greene rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. Because a- I definitely, I'm, I'm aware of some of the concepts and ideas he talks about, and they definitely resonate with me. I just need to kind of put some time into it. Yeah. He's one of my all-time favorite authors. Like, literally mm-hmm. right up there. I think I own every single book the man's ever put out. But like right, I'd say... Yeah there's like a different so the way i always put this to everyone anyone that's listening at home that's a fan of um robert green or thinking thinking of getting into his books read them in a different order than they were released because a lot of people start with 48 laws of power then they skip around and then they finally find where they need to be okay so what order would i should you do you recommend there's concise versions of these books, by the way, and I recommend reading the concise versions because the full versions have like historical anecdotes and back notes. It's like, yeah, meh. the concise versions gives you like the real meat of it all. So 33 Strategies of War. Uh, it's one oh, yeah. of my favorite books, specifically law number eight, like strategy number eight, which is uh, Death Ground, which is you back yourself into a corner and you fight two or three times harder for a short space, uh, short space of time, but you don't want to overdo that because you'll burn yourself out. Um, so that's one. Two would be the 48 Laws of Power because that is the chronological order then you've got the art of seduction um then you've got the 50th law which surprising so many people like 50 cents book really adults like yeah 50 cent and robert green that is one of the best books you'll ever get on fear management mm. uh then i would skip mastery like mastery is like robert green's final book i actually put that way way down the bottom of his list like if you're going to read that book read it right towards the end of all this collection because you've got uh 50th law and then it's um the laws of human nature Mm. which I read, I took as an audiobook. It took it was a 28 hour audiobook. It's insanely long. Wow. It's a really good audiobook. That's very long actually. Yeah. Yeah. And then he just recently released uh, the daily laws, which is like the daily yeah, story, that, yeah. but it's just a, yeah. it's just a good book to have, but, and then of course, mastery right at the very end. And of course the other book that I recommend to everyone is uh 50 cents book, hustle harder, hustle smarter, which I mm. think you would actually really enjoy if you haven't read it. Okay. Yeah. I, another book I, I was just looking at my shelf and I'll throw out there is um, probably not very well known, um, A Company of One by Paul Jarvis. So Paul is a Canadian, um, gosh, what is he? So he he started with like, he started as like a freelancer, like a web freelancer, like many, many years ago. Then he started doing like products and courses for people, teaching people about freelancing and marketing. Mm-hmm. And now he's actually running a software company um, called Fathom, which is basically a competitor to Google Analytics, um, but it's very privacy focused. So they don't, they don't um, they keep all the tracking anonymous and um, got like just a really cool little, little business he's going. But um, he, um, he um, wrote this book. Well, he actually started, he wrote an article. I was on his newsletter list years ago. Uh, oh, I still am, but he doesn't publish anymore. But he, he wrote this article called, Oh man, everything is gravy or something about, it was like, everything else is gravy. It was basically this concept of like, think about as a business owner, and this is generally aimed at, I guess, like smaller business owners, people like me, 
working for themselves or have a small team, what do you want to earn? And like, what do you want your life to look like? And what is enough for you? And this is something that not enough people kind of ask themselves. Everyone, yeah. everyone just kind of wants to grow. And if, if that's your goal, just to grow every year, you will never reach your goal because next year you've, grow, you've grown next year, but you want to grow some more next year. And so you're constantly on this hamster wheel, just chasing that next kind of block of growth. But he says, well, just think about what is it that you want to achieve? What do you want your life to look like? What is enough for you? And he tells this really good story of he was surfing with his friend who was like an, an accountant or something. And he was like, oh, you know, what are you, what are you doing? Got any plans for the rest of the year? And his, his friend, this accountant said, oh, I'm not, I'm not working for the rest of the year. I've earned enough money for the year. And it was this really profound moment that Paul had. And he shares this story. And I was like, wow, like imagine saying that, like, no, I've, I've earned enough money. I'm not going to do anything else for the rest of the year. I'll, I'll worry about money again next year. Like it was a really interesting idea. Yeah. And so he wrote this article and it turned into this book, Company of One, where he's basically just challenging this idea of growth and sort of saying, you don't have to grow. If you can just get to a point where you've like earned enough and you're happy with the way you're working, like that should be that should be good enough for you. And, that, and that's kind of that was a really important book for me because it does kind of give you that permission. And it, and that was had some, you know, helped me form some of the principles that I have now. And it's kind of where I am now is like, yeah, I don't I own a good amount. Like I have a contractor that works with me who makes my life easier and a few people around me that help me. But um, if I don't grow next year, I don't care. Like for me, the goal now is to make my business as efficient as possible, not to grow. If I could earn the same money in half the time, that to me is a much more attractive goal than earning more. Yeah, because if you earn double, you have to put out more work for it. Whereas, yeah, that, sorry, that is insanely profound to me. Like you just saying that to me, where I went, huh? That makes so much more sense. Because again, you're taught maybe it isn't. Maybe you do want to keep growing. Maybe you're that type of personality. So by all means, go for it. But holy shit, that is a that is a yeah game changer when you things. hear it it's like it's crazy and you're like because you know for, for a business like mine um i had i do have a few contractors but the natural thing to do would be to hire more people and to try and get loads of people around me doing all the work i mean number one i actually enjoy doing some of the work i don't want to take that away like i've heard from so many business owners who say you know maybe they were a designer or a web yeah web or graphic designer or something and then they hire people to do the work for them. And so all they end up doing is like managing the business and doing admin and HR and all the boring parts of business no. that they don't like. Um, so no, yeah, incredibly profound book. And uh, and I would just encourage people to think about what is enough for you. And, and often people do grow and hire teams and it actually just adds more stress to your life. I was talking to um, great New Zealand entrepreneur, Natalie Sisson, um, on a podcast. And she was, she was talking about, she had some friends in Australia, again, small business. It was just two of them, but they did the traditional thing. They grew, they hired lots of people. And then they ended up like kind of not enjoying their work. So they actually then scaled down. They deliberately shrank the size of their business to make it more efficient. And now they just work, uh, you know, some casual hours and go surfing with the rest of their time. So yeah, it's just something I would encourage people to think about. Definitely. My buddy, Ben Settle is really like, I look at Ben and I'm like, how the shit? Cause like Ben has done something that very few people will ever be able to do. And he's built like over a seven figure business and he barely works. Mm. Like that's the beauty of what Ben's done. It's like his newsletter right now, I think his newsletter crossed like the seven figure mark two years ago. And he's like, yeah, it's a $97 letter. I just send it out. And you know, I, I work on little tiny bits and pieces and projects here and there. And I just get to the hangout and do what I want. I was like, yeah. What's his name? Sorry. Ben Settle. Uh, email players is his uh, company. Um, really great guy. If you ever want an introduction, I'll introduce you guys. He's actually fucking phenomenal as a business owner, yeah. as a copywriter as well. Um, I don't think he's working anymore. It's essentially how we know each other. But anyway, 
uh, wow, we completely went off topic there on like books and philosophy. Which I love. <laughs> yeah. So like one of my one of my favorite questions to ask on the show is essentially invariably life will kick you in the nuts. Let's be honest, life is an asshole for doing so, and it you know we love it. It's the spice and variety of life. My question to you is, how do you overcome or at least come back from those moments if you've ever had them? Um, or have you just question. been very, or have you been so disciplined that like this is like nope, not come through yet? Yeah, I mean, a few thoughts come to mind. Firstly, I'm lucky in that nothing. I haven't ever been kicked in the nuts super badly. Like I haven't had, um, I'm just thinking of like, I haven't had anyone really close to me like die. I've never been like fired from a job that I really needed or struggled financially. Like I've got a good support network around me and I've went from my job to my business. And so I would say like, you know, I, I do count myself lucky in some ways. I, I mean, part of it, I think is you, you, you create a bit of your own luck, but you know, I, I, I haven't had just like the bad, I haven't drawn bad cards and, and um, had anything super bad go wrong. So I think, yeah, I acknowledge that. But when inevitably things don't go your way in, in one form or, of an, or another, and I think this is where the stoic teaching really has helped. It's like, I really just try and focus on what you can control and, and, and controlling emotion as well. It's funny. I did this personality test recently. Um, it's called, if you go to 16personalities.com, really good test. It's yeah. very the similar to other personality tests. Um, yeah. Yeah. Similar. Similar. Yeah. Um, oh. And they give you this, these ratings at the end. And I'm someone that's like on the rating, there's this scale, like rational versus emotional. I'm like 90% rational and about 10% emotional, <laughs> yeah. which, you know, there's, dis there's, there's disadvantages to that. But like yeah. the good thing about that <laughs> is that um, I think when bad or negative things happen, I'm pretty good at looking at it in a very sort of rational way and being like, look, okay, I can't control this. What I can control is how I react to it, you know, and, and, and sometimes I'm not good at doing this, by the way, if I have like a bad experience with a client project goes wrong, it's, it's very, I can get quite uh, emotional and upset, but I try and bring myself back and, and use my rational brain to be like, look, what can I control? Well, first thing is stop worrying, because if I worry and stress and freak out, it's only going to make the situation worse. So that's the first thing is I just try and get my emotions under control. Then I can think about right now, what is the thought, the, what are the steps that I can take to try and come back from this situation? Um, it's really funny if my wife and I ever have an argument um, and I don't know if this is my wife and I, or if it's a male female thing, <laughs> but uh, she loves to, she loves to dwell on the argument and like, she wants to grieve and like be angry for a while. She needs that time to be angry and just be pissed off at me. Um, I'm very quick to be like, if I've done something wrong, I'll just be like, okay, I'm sorry. I acknowledge what I did wrong, or this is what I'm going to do different next time. And let's move on. And she hates that because <laughs> she needs that time to be angry. And I think that's the difference between the emotional and the rational side. That's I'm just, a, I'm, that's a guy thing. That's definitely. Yeah, a guy thing, yeah. right? I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to find the solution as quick as I can. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone likes to straddle that line and go, you know what? That's so the fuck you guys. I don't give a shit. That's not sexist. Look at biology. Men just generally we're, we're bred for that reason. Specifically, like genetically, we're just bred to be like, oh shit, let go. Done. I can move on. And women, you're far more emotionally intelligent than we are. We all know this. It's, it's one yeah. of the reasons we go well yeah. together. <laughs> it's a brilliant thing but paul this has been absolutely brilliant to have you on my friend and guys if you're looking to improve oh shit there is one last question i do have and legitimately i was just back to the show i was like shit i didn't ask this right so we're drawing up to the end of 2021 we've got 2022 loads of people are going to be setting new year's resolutions slowing down speeding up whatever they're doing 
My question for you is what advice do you have for those people to maximize the best of that new year run? Because you do get a tidal wave of energy in that start point, but how do you ride that wave further than say six weeks? Yeah, great question. I mean, I, um, I actually don't do a lot of like, uh, what do you call it? Um, you know, annual planning or like resolutions. Yeah. Thank you. Um, for me, like, I guess the thinking ahead of like, what do I want to do? How do I want to use my time? What goals do I have for me? That's very much just a, a continuous gradual thing throughout the year. And so for me, it means that rather than starting the year with these big ambitions and big goals of this is what I want to do and how I want to improve my life. And sometimes people do set big goals. I don't have a problem with big goals, but my one concern is that if you set these big goals, they seem really far away. They seem more unattainable. Whereas if you approach goal planning and self-improvement on a smaller level, like something that you do more regularly in a smaller way, yeah. it feels more achievable. It's more ongoing. And that's just my approach. So I'm, I'm not really one to do big annual goal planning or resolutions, but it's more of like, um, uh, you know, I, I hired my friend uh, in, uh, of mine in the last year to, come on full time with me in my business and we are constantly like on a weekly basis being like okay how can we have done that better how can we do this better how can we improve how would we improve that process blah 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 blah. the point is that the the self-improvement aspect of us working together is a continuous thing we don't we, we are actually going to do a, a six-month review soon something a bit more formal but um rather than just looking at the year and trying to plan the whole year and come up with these goals for me, like that improvement and, and goal setting is much more of a, a smaller continuous thing for me. That is awesome. So basically it's essentially creating your entire habitual system to go on. Like as James Clear likes to say, basically you've created it to on the system of failure, meaning in the sense of, I don't feel like doing something today, but what are the basic habits that can really build that keeps me going forward and then just review and weekly rather than yeah. going for the yeah. big ass mountain that's in front of you. So you touch on a good point because um, I can't remember where I first read this, but the feedback loop is shorter if you do goal planning on a smaller level. Like if you set a big annual goal, I don't know, whatever it might be, maybe it's losing weight or growing a business or getting to a certain income or whatever it might be. The feedback loop is a year because you've set this year long goal. So you might not know for six or nine months whether you're kind of on track or not to hit that goal, by which time that's a lot of time to have gone by. Now you need to maybe change your goal or move the goalposts. Um if you approach goal planning on like maybe a monthly or a, or a quarterly basis, now that feedback loop is quicker. So yeah. you can pivot and change your strategy in a much more nimble way than just doing annual goal planning. Yeah. Cause you're not really trying to move the big beast. You're just moving little tiny, tiny pieces yeah. of the cog to see where you're going. That's brilliant. I'm very much a believer of, you know, the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. <laughs> Always chunk it guys. Go check yeah. out paulminers.com. Go on, get on his mailing list as well. Check out what he's doing. And again, my camera just went off for a second, but I'm still here. Um, but yeah, Paul, this has been absolutely awesome. Thank you for being on here today. And guys, as always, please rate, review, and subscribe. Check in for next week. We've got the last few episodes literally going live, and I guarantee you they will literally blow your mind of who we've got on. So take care, have a great weekend, and speak to you soon.